grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Our sermon text for today will come from 1 Corinthians 11. If you'd like to find that in your scriptures, or it's also printed in the worship order, if you'd like to look for it there. Well, before we enter into the world of the scriptures today, I want to tell you a fairy story that I hope will help us connect our story to the story of Jesus. Once upon a time, the Brothers Grimm told a story about Hansel and Gretel, the children of a poor woodcutter. Since the family was so poor, there was not enough food to go around, and they feared starvation. The woodcutter's wife, who happened to be the children's stepmother, decided to banish the children from their home. Her plan was to abandon them deep in the woods. So early one morning at sunrise, she gave the children two small pieces of bread and led them into the forest to cut wood. Aware of the woman's plan, Hansel crumbled his bread in his pocket and little by little he threw the crumbs on the path. The woman led the children deep into the forest where they had never in their lives been before. And then she built a great fire and said, Just sit there, you children, and when you're tired, you may sleep a little. We're going into the forest to cut wood, and in the evening when we're done, we will come and fetch you away. When it was noon, Gretel shared her piece of bread with Hansel, who had scattered his along the way. And then they fell asleep, and evening passed. They did not awake until it was dark night, but no one came to the poor children. As as always, Hansel comforted his little sister and said, Just wait, Gretel, until the moon rises, and then we shall see the crumbs of bread which I've scattered, and they will show us our way home again. While we wait for the moon to rise, I want us to look at some other stories, and then we will come back to their story in a little while. Now, I've been in a sacramental state of mind lately, especially since I've been taking exams and my recent oral exam drove home for me. The point reminded me once again of how important it is to think deeply about baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so I've been thinking about these deep yet elemental things like water, bread, and wine along with the Word of God. Last week we looked at baptism and this week we're going to look at the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. And I want us to think carefully about the Lord's Supper and some of what it means for us and why it's so important for us and how it actually helps bring us all the way home. Our sermon text for today is 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 32. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of God. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. Now my purpose today is simply to show you something old in a new way. It's not simply to show you something new, but to show you something old in a new way. We've seen that from the beginning of redemptive history until now, God has revealed Himself by His Word through water and through bread and through wine in one form or another. So last week we saw the watermarks that appear all over the Scriptures and how those watermarks point us to Jesus. But today we're going to see that Breadcrumbs and wine stains also appear all over the scriptures, and they point us to Jesus as well. If we follow these breadcrumbs and wine stains, they will lead us all the way home. Now, question is this What is the Lord's Supper? The Westminster Confession of Faith defines it like this The Lord's Supper is a sacrament of the New Testament wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine according to the appointment of Jesus Christ, His death is showed forth. And they that worthily commune feed upon His body and blood to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace, and they have their union and communion with Christ confirmed. They testify and renew their thankfulness and engagement to God and their mutual love and fellowship with each other as members of the same mystical body. Now that's a mouthful. That's a lot to even hear at one time. But I want to try to break it down and just show you a few of those things and how they work out in the story of Scripture. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two stories in the Old Testament. And then one story in the New Testament. The Old Testament story we're going to call shadows. The New Testament story we're going to call the reality or substance of those shadows. So as I said, the breadcrumbs and the wine stains that we find in the scriptures are the things that are going to point away from themselves to a more solid reality. They'll point away from themselves to Jesus. The first story I want you to consider today comes from Genesis 14, 17 to 20. Now in that story, we have Abraham's encounter with a strange figure, a man named Melchizedek. And the story goes like this, that after Abraham had rescued his nephew Lot and then returned from defeating some kings in a battle, He goes down into the valley of the kings where he is met by a wicked king, the king of Sodom, and then the righteous king, the king of Salem. And both kings are trying to cut a deal with him or more specifically cut a covenant with him. Melchizedek is the one who brings out bread and wine. 
He's described as priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth, a tenth of everything he had. Now for our purposes today, what I want you to see is that Melchizedek, the king, wants to make a covenant with Abram. So he offers him bread and wine. This is a covenant meal. Melchizedek's gesture of giving bread and wine, setting it before Abram, means that he is offering, in fact, to lay down his body and to give his blood for Abram. They are making a covenant. And Melchizedek is saying, my life for yours. Abram's gesture of receiving the bread and wine from Melchizedek meant that he is in fact receiving the offer. That he is accepting what Melchizedek offers and he's grateful to live under his covenant protection. Now if you follow the breadcrumbs and the wine stains in that story, you see that they will in fact lead you to Jesus Christ. Now you might be saying, how in the world do you get to Jesus from Melchizedek? Well, I cheat by reading the book of Hebrews, which says that Melchizedek is a shadow of Jesus. Melchizedek is described in Hebrews as someone who appears in the story without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but he resembles the Son of God and continues as a priest forever. The breadcrumbs and the wine stains in the story remind us that Jesus is the true and better Melchizedek. And so you understand that Melchizedek is not just a weird word, but actually has meaning. Here's what it means. He is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Jesus is the true and better king of righteousness and king of peace who makes a covenant with us by laying down his life for us and inviting us to partake of the bread and wine of his covenant meal. He says to us in the Lord's Supper, my life for yours, my body and blood for you. The second story I want you to consider from the Old Testament comes from the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, we have the story of a woman named Ruth and her encounter with a man named Boaz. Now, Ruth, for, for those who may not remember, was a poor young widow. She lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth herself was a foreigner. She was a refugee, an immigrant from the other side of the border. And due to harsh conditions, she and her mother-in-law were forced to move from Moab to Bethlehem at harvest time. The irony is that Bethlehem means house of bread. And since these refugee widows had no bread and they had no breadwinners, Ruth became a migrant worker in the fields to help support herself and her mother-in-law. And so she worked on the edges of the field, a field owned by a man named Boaz, who happened to be a distant relative of Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, after the reapers had passed through the fields with their harvesters, then Ruth would go in behind them and she would gather leftover sheaves of grain. 
And when Boaz saw Ruth working in the field, he ran a background check on her. I kid you not. They called it something different back then. But when he learned her story, he felt compassion towards her. And at lunchtime, he said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat with the reapers and she ate roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and then even had leftovers to take home to her mother-in-law. When she got up to work again, Boaz told his young men, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her for she needs this. Pull some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So Boaz called her to his side and he comforted Ruth and he blessed her and he spoke kindly to her and he invited her to his table and welcomed her as a part of his household. So as the story goes, Boaz acted as a kinsman redeemer on behalf of Naomi, which benefited Ruth. And he was able to acquire Naomi's land and then take Ruth ultimately as his wife. It's a great romantic story. Now, if we follow the breadcrumbs and the wine, st- the wine stains in that story, guess where they lead you? They lead you all the way to Jesus. Again, you might be saying, how in the world do you get to Jesus from Boaz and Ruth? Well, here's how you do it. You see, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. The Lord gave her conception and she bore a son named Obed, who was the father of a man named Jesse, who became the father of a man named David, who was born in the town of Bethlehem, who became the king of Israel, who was a descendant of Jesus. According to the prophets, the Savior of the world came from Bethlehem. Remember, we just heard this a few months ago, last month in fact. But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, who is coming forth, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So Jesus, the son of David, is born in Bethlehem, and thus the house of bread gives birth to the bread of life. So you see how the bread crumbs and the wine stains of the story remind us of Jesus, point us to Jesus, and show us that Jesus is the true and better Boaz who redeems his people, Jews and Gentiles, ransoms citizens and immigrants, and rescues orphans and widows, and rules over his people with grace and generosity. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer who ransoms us with his blood. Now those stories are shadows of Jesus. They're preparing God's people for the real thing. And we live in a time where we can look back and see the real thing. The reality is Jesus Christ gave his body and blood for the life of the world. So God reveals himself to the world through these elemental things, bread and wine. The breadcrumbs and the wine stains that we find in the Old Testament are shadows. They're pointing us to Jesus. And then the reality comes, and the reality is Jesus. And when the the apostles of Christ reflect back on who Jesus is, they say things like this in the New Testament. 
You find this all in 1 Corinthians. The apostles will say, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ was slaughtered and roasted in our place at the cross. So let us eat the bread of affliction in his place at the table. The apostles teach that our fathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and they all ate. They all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So Christ is serving his people water and bread and wine in the desert back then. And now he still serves us water, bread and wine here in Mesquite in DFW. The scriptures say that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he gave things, he broke it. And he said, this body, this is my body, which is for you. Do this remembrance of me. He took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why? For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, what are you doing? You are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world until he comes. You are proclaiming both his death and his life. His death as you look back to the crucifixion. His life as you anticipate his second coming. So Jesus offers bread and wine to you week after week. And it's not just any bread or any wine, but it is his body, his blood broken and poured out for you, given for the life of the world. So let me try to tie some of this together. Just as Melchizedek offered bread and wine to Abraham, so now in the Lord's Supper, Jesus spreads a table in the valley of the kings, in the presence of our enemy, the dark prince of the world. And he brings out this covenant meal of bread and wine and says, my life for yours. Will you come and eat? Will you come and feast on Christ? And just as Boaz offered bread and wine to Ruth, so now in the Lord's Supper, Jesus spreads his wings over his people and he shelters and sustains all who take refuge under the corner of his garment, for he is our Redeemer. Will you dip your bread in the wine and partake of the body and blood of Jesus? The breadcrumbs and the wine stains, wine stains are signs that lead us to the cross. They lead us to the broken body of our righteous king and the shed blood of our kinsman redeemer. But beyond that, they bring us together at peace with God the Father and they lead us all the way home. When we come to the Lord's table here in a few moments, we need to remember that this broken bread is given for a broken body. And we are that broken body. We are a broken people who need this broken bread of Christ. The spilled wine is also for weary saints and even weak sinners. It is not for those who are super righteous, who have it all together. It is for those who are weak and weary, that they may, may find grace in their time of need, that they may be nourished, that they may have food for the journey to make it a little farther down the road.
Whatever happened to Hansel and Gretel? Does anyone know? Hey, what does that have to do with our story? When we left off, Hansel was saying, Wait, Gretel, until the moon rises and we'll see the crumbs of bread which I've strewn about and they will show us our way home again. But when the moon came out, they found no crumbs for the many thousands of birds which fly about in the woods and fields had picked them all up. And Hansel said to Gretel, We shall soon find the way. But they did not find it. They walked the whole night and all the next day too from morning till evening, but they did not get out of the forest. And they were very hungry, for they had nothing to eat. And since they were so weary that their legs would carry them no longer, they lay down beneath a tree and fell asleep. Do you get the point? Do you see where I'm going with this? Without bread, we are lost. Without bread, we are hungry. Without bread, we are weary. Without bread, we are weak. Without bread, we are wasted. Without bread, we are dead. Now, I don't know all of you as well as I would like, but I know most of you well enough to know that at different points of your life, you experience these kinds of things. You are sick, and you are weak, and you feel like you're dying at times. And sometimes you don't know why. But you look around and you realize that an enemy has come and he's taken away your breadcrumbs. You don't feed on the Word of God. You neglect Christ's invitation to the table. And when that happens, you lose your way and you fall into troubles. Or perhaps you take the Lord's grace for granted. And you come week after week to the table, but you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You should examine yourself and you should see the Lord's body gathered around you and feel your need to feed upon Christ and taste the bitterness of your sins and the sweetness of His grace. But sometimes you don't think about those things at all. You just think eating the bread, drinking the wine is the next thing we do in the worship service and it gets us to the offering and then we're almost done and there's a game on this afternoon. You can eat bread and drink a wine and not feed your soul. You can't just go through the motions. So we're called to reflect upon who Jesus is and what He's done for us and how gracious and merciful He is towards us and how He's made us members of His body and of this congregation in particular. So we look around and we see each other. What do we see? We should see more than men and women and children and more than old and young and more than rich and poor. We should see Christ in one another. That's what it means to discern the body. Christ says to us, my life for yours. And we're saying to each other, my life for yours also. One for all, all for one. And that's how you find your way home, by using bread and wine. The table is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. It's a pit stop. It's a rest area that gets us down the road a little bit farther. 
prophets say, why do you spend your life for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. If you're the kind of person who can still see the breadcrumbs and wine stains, follow them. And they're going to lead you out of darkness and despair. They're going to lead you to the light and hope of the world, which is Jesus. But if you're lost, then I urge you with all your heart to lay down and rest your weary head beneath the tree of all trees. That is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's at that tree that you will find rest for your soul. As Hansel once told Gretel, be comforted, dear little sister, and be at peace. God will not forsake us. The good God will help us. Well, today I've tried to show you something old in a new way. And I hope you see that the breadcrumbs and the wine stains are symbols that God uses to point us to the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I haven't always thought about these things in this way, and maybe you haven't either, but we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus together, right? So don't think that I'm up here as one who thinks I have it all together and all figured out. That's not at all what I'm doing. I'm simply saying, hey, I found a crumb here and a little bit of wine. I think we should eat this and drink this together. Somehow it's going to point us to Jesus. I know I've shared this story with you before, but it bears repeating now, I think, because I want to put a different spin on it now than I have in the past and maybe clean up a mess that I made earlier. Maybe. When we were little kids, my brother and I used to ride a bus to church. And we loved it because on that bus, we would play games, we'd sing songs and memorize scriptures. We'd go to Sunday school and afterwards we'd go into the auditorium and then church would happen and then we would ride the bus home and it was a lot of fun. But we noticed that every week at church, um, some men would get up, and they're very serious looking men, and they'd get up and they would pray, and then they would pass out these gold-colored plates and trays to people, and, and all around the auditorium we'd hear ping, 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 as people were breaking off bits of cracker and drinking grape juice. From our point of view, that's all they were doing. We didn't understand what was happening. And we also didn't understand why every time the plate came by, it would like whiz past us and we just see a blur of whatever was in the plate. People were very careful to make sure that we did not put our, I guess, grubby hands on the thing. So one week we decided that we would use strategy and we would sit in a place where they would have to hand us the plate and the tray and then we would have to hand it to the next person. But we also planned to eat and drink whatever, there, whatever was going on because we wanted to do what other people were doing. And so our plan was working great. A man, serious looking man, handed us the plate and I have the plate of crackers. My brother and I look at it and just before we stick our fingers over there, a woman slides down the pew, takes it from my hand and says, no, 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 that's not for you. And then she moves on back to the other end of the pew. So, of course, we were a little bit embarrassed and we, then we kind of laughed about it. But it stuck in my mind that she said, that's not for you. And I wondered why. And for years, I'll be honest with you, I was offended by that. That's not for you. Why isn't it for me? Someone tell me why it's not for me. Well, many years have passed since that happened, and I've replayed that scene in my mind many times and tried to interpret and reinterpret that experience. That was 35 years ago, and I'm still thinking about it. Uh, since then, this is what I've learned. I've learned that it is required of them that would worthily partake 
of the Lord's Supper, that they examine themselves of their knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon Him, of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest come, coming unworthily they eat and drink judgment on themselves. So I used to think that this woman who snatched the plate of crackers out of my hand was just a prudish church lady. But now I think differently about her. And I apologize for my years of criticizing this unknown saint. I think what she was actually trying to do was preserve the sanctity of the Lord's Supper. And maybe even save us from eating and drinking judgment on ourselves. I don't know if she thought that deeply about it. But I'm simply saying that in her own awkward and clumsy way, she was right. And she was actually doing us a favor. Here's why. My brother and I had not been baptized. We had not professed faith in Jesus. You know, I think we believed in Him. We didn't understand anything about the bread and wine symbolizing the body and blood of Jesus. And at that moment, under those circumstances, we had no business taking the Lord's Supper. It was not for us. Not yet, anyway. And can I say the same holds true for you now? If you've not been baptized or if you do not yet believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior, the Lord's Supper is not yet for you. If you have sins that you've not confessed to the Lord or that you have not repented, you should do so now before you partake of the supper, lest you eat and drink judgment on yourself. If you keep insisting on keeping your sins, the Lord's Supper is not yet for you. But if you are a baptized believer and you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, His Supper is for you. But if you have doubts and fears about your standing with the Lord, you should also eat and drink. Because God has made promises to love you and to care for you in Christ. And this sacrament is appointed for the relief even of weak and doubting Christians. The relief. I need relief and I'm sure you do as well. Well, every Lord's Day, this table is set with the bread and wine. And it's here not so we can have something else to do in worship, but it's here by Christ's appointment. Because it's through this that He invites us to come and eat this comfort food. To feast upon His body and blood, which He has given for the life of the world, which He's given for your life. For Christ calls you to trust and obey Him, to come and eat and drink this delicious meal. Let us pray together.